God's story and how that meets man's story. Uh, but with that, uh, first of all, if the kids are interested in going back, Cindy has something special in the back. And so if that's okay with mom and dad, you guys are welcome to be a part of that today. Um, but with the story, we have a couple things that we're doing together as a church. There, of course, there's small groups and Sunday school classes that are available. But uh, one of the things that I'd like to encourage you to think about doing, if you're not already doing it in some other way, is to be reading the Scripture along with us as we're going through the, 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 the entire Scripture together. And, and as we pointed out, there's two different tracks that you can go on. There's, a, there's an abbreviated track we're calling the Central Themes Track. This week we're going to be in Genesis 37 through 50 and just in parts of that. And the objective of that track is really just kind of get the main idea of the, the entire flow uh, of Scripture. And then the second track is going to be the whole Bible track, and, and we're going to read the entire Bible in seven months. It's not a lot of time each day. If you just set up time, a little bit of time each day, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to discover the, the whole of Scripture. And, and this is a good week to jump in. If, if you're thinking, oh man, I, I've, I'm two weeks behind and I, I've missed my opportunity, uh, don't let that discourage you. You can either jump in right where we're at, and that's okay, uh, or if you want to catch up, this is a great week to catch up because we're going to be just in... Uh, what about 13 14 chapters this week in the whole bible track and so uh, this is a good week to to play a little catch up but also i'd like to encourage us that as we're reading god's word uh, god also calls us to the opportunity to memorize his word he talks in proverbs and and psalms about hiding god's word in our heart Uh, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through just one verse during each volume that we're looking at and so over this next seven months, that's only five or six verses. And so uh, this week, this, this month, we're going to be memorizing Exodus 34, 6. And I would encourage you to participate in that with us. It's a great opportunity to not only discover the story of God's Word, but also to have His, her, His Word right there in our hearts, ready to be used any time. Well, I'm glad that you're participating with us. I'm glad that you're here and uh, look forward to seeing how God continues to use this. I've been very encouraged to see and talk to some of you who are already reading through the Scripture and you're enjoying that opportunity. Let's turn our attention to God's Word, but first, let's go to the Lord of His Word and pray together. Father in Heaven, we we do ask You today as as we open the pages of this book that we recognize that this ancient book was inspired by You. You move men along to write these things down, and they wrote down your thoughts, your ideas, what you wanted for us to be able to live. And you've given us to us all that we need for life and godliness in this book that we call the Bible. Father, as we continue through Genesis today, I pray that you would teach us. I, I pray that you would show us yourself. I, I pray that we would have a better understanding of who you are as a result of our encounter with you here. Because we know as ancient as these words are, they are just as pertinent, just as relevant, and just as alive today as the day that they were first written. And so may we never forget that. And I pray that that your word would do its work in our lives and make us look more like Jesus today than when we came in here. It's in his name we pray and ask this. Amen. Well, again, welcome back to the story. Uh, We've just embarked on this journey of discovering God's story And throughout this series, uh, we are going to continue to turn our attention to the Bible because this is where God has revealed the unfolding of His story. Uh, We're going to start this morning with a little bit of a brief review of where we're going and where we've already been. Uh, First, it's important that 
that we remember that God presented his story as a unified package. As we touched on last week, uh, you know, many people make this mistake of thinking that the Bible presents a God who's changed somehow. That in the Old Testament, that he was a God who uh, was wrathful and angry, and in the New Testament, he's a loving and merciful God. Often they make they also make the mis- a second mistake in their thinking and assume that the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the people were saved somehow by their works, that they were saved by obeying God, and if they obeyed God enough, that that, that could maybe get them into heaven. And then in the New Testament, then people were saved by grace through faith. We need to understand that from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, God reveals Himself as a just and a holy God who hates sin and loves people. And so throughout the Bible, God demonstrated His grace towards sinners by providing a way of salvation. That, that is, He gives us something good that we don't deserve. That's the definition of grace. Receiving something good from God that, that we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving something that we do deserve, but, but God withholds it. And so we find that mankind either has to respond to God's gift through faith or reject God's provision and reject God's mercy. And so the God that's revealed in the Old Testament, you have to understand, is the same God who's revealed in the New Testament. Those who receive God's grace in the Old Testament, the main difference is that those who receive God's grace in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the coming of Jesus. In the New Testament, we look back to Jesus who already came and died on the cross for us. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about God's grace, and people still receive it through faith, by believing God. A second thing that we need to remember, throughout this series, uh, we're going to be referring to what we call the upper story and the lower story. As you read the Bible, you're you're going to discover that, that there are two stories being told simultaneously. In the upper story, God tells us what He sees from above. His perspective. He tells us how he's accomplishing his great plan throughout the ages and, and doing so in a way that will leave all of heaven and earth declaring at the end, wow, he couldn't have done anything more perfectly. God is glorious. He couldn't have orchestrated things more beautifully. On the lower story, however, God tells us the individual stories of real people who who could not see the overall picture, but they believed God for what he said. Or some, in cases, some of them didn't believe God. And on that lower story, they were learning to walk by faith as they, as they lived out their lives day by day. And I, and I know that as you're reading through the Bible, sometimes we get a little... It, it, it's, a, it's a long, distant culture. And it was written in different languages. It was written in... Um, sometimes it appears that these, these stories appear disconnected. They feel scattered. There's thousands of people living separate lives over many centuries and speaking different languages from cultures that feel very far removed from our postmodern world. Do you ever get that feeling when you're reading through the Bible? I, I do. I come to a passage and I go, what in the world's happening here? And I live in a culture that's you know, 3,000 years after some of these events took place. We're going to look at some of that today, in fact. But Weaving all of these lower stories from these cultures long ago, weaving these stories together, we find that God is telling us one great epic from, from up above. And again, His story is still continuing today. It's continuing in your life. 
Your life and and my life are a, a continuation of that lower story. And in the Bible, God teaches us how the story is unfolding and how, how we can walk by faith and thus experience the blessings of bringing our story in line with His story. And so last week, we spent some time in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. We're going to just briefly review that, and then we're going to pick up in chapter 12 today. So if you want to turn your Bibles to the first book of the Bible, book of Genesis. Last week, we spent some time in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and on the lower story, God revealed the unfolding of four major events. And I just want you to remember a key word for each of these main, major events. We're going to go through them together here in a few moments. The first, creation. We saw that God reveals that He is the one who made everything. And, and what He created was very good. And so the Bible begins with this beautiful account of the one who made it all, and, and we are called to worship Him. In fact, we discover in Scripture that, that we have been created to worship. That's how we're made. You, you buy a car, uh, you, you expect it to do certain things, right? It, it's going to function in certain ways. Uh, you put your food on top of it, and you put your silverware on, on the hood, and, and you eat off of it because that's what ca- cars are made for, right? No, they're made for driving. They're made for a purpose. Uh, it, it, in the same way, God made us for a purpose. He made us to function in a certain way, and we, we're made to worship. And we enjoy that, that um, how He's made us the most when we are worshiping, worshiping Him and enjoying Him. He, he made us to be in relationship with Him. And He desires to share Himself with us. But if you reject, if you reject the one who we were, that, that we were created by, and if you reject worship of Him and enjoying Him, then you'll automatically, because you were created to worship, you're going to default to something else. You're going to worship something else. It's how we're made. It's how we function. And if we're not worshiping this God, He'll choose something else to worship in your life. And so we saw creation. The second major event that we saw was the fall. A great tragedy took place when our first parents rejected God's story. They chose sin. They rejected the relationship that God had made with them. And so we find that death came to all men. And ever since then, all of us have rejected God's perfect standard And we discover in Scripture that not one of us has chosen God's story on our own. But in God's mercy, He extends His grace to mankind. And as soon as Adam and Eve fell, what what happened in, in the Bible? As soon as they fell, God came down and He struck them and He poured out His wrath. No! Immediately, God steps into the story and He says, I'm going to intervene here. If they continue down this path, then they're lost forever. And so the first thing we see happening right after the fall is God steps in and He he provides a way. He shows His mercy. He extends His grace to mankind. And as soon as Adam and Eve fell, we see these words. Then the Lord said. We're going to see that phrase several times in those next few chapters. You see, God provided a promise of one who was going to come who would achieve victory for us. In the very next steps, after they fell and they rejected God's plan, they rejected God's story, God said, and He promised one that would give them the victory. That promise is going to be woven throughout the entire story of Scripture. And so you, you watch for that as we continue on. But then we saw the human race also continued to reject God's story. Mankind became exceedingly violent and wicked, which led to the third major event, the flood. 
God judged the human race and He started over with one man and his family. And again, the story introduces us to God's plan with the words, then the Lord said to Noah. And so we see God stepping in. Uh, man rejects the story and God steps in and, and He provides His grace. And he sh- he, he, He's continuing His promise. But by chapter 11, we again discover that the human race rejects God's story. They rejected God's way and they decided to build what we now know as Babel a tower to heaven. We saw that man was going to reach heaven by his own merits, something that people are still trying to do. However, this is where we're left hanging. You see, so far, God has provided a solution after every failure of man. Every time, up in these, in these first 11 chapters, every time God initiates a way to come back into the relationship with Himself. We see every time it says, then the Lord said... But here in chapter 11, we see the, the story of the Tower of Babel, of people's, the human race's rejection of this God, and we don't see those words, then the Lord said. It immediately goes into a genealogy of a new family. And, 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 uh, and so we see God accomplishing His upper story, but all of a sudden there's this question. At the end of the events of Babel, you might expect the same words, then the Lord said, but instead we find this genealogy of one of Noah's sons. And so if you're reading the Bible for the first time, you might come to the end of that section and ask yourself, is God going to intervene? What's going to happen to the promise? Is God going to step in or is everything lost? Has God finally said, I'm done? Or is He going to do something else or maybe even something new? So let's participate in a short exercise together before we look at that next stage just to help our memory as we go along. And so I'd like you to start memorizing these key words, and along with reading the Bible, I I think it's going to help all of us remember the framework of that upper story as he's revealed it through the lower story of people's lives. So from the first week, just four key words. Let's say them with me, okay? Creation, fall, flood, Babel, all right? Easy enough. That gives you you a, a summary of the first several thousand years of human history. It's all right there. One more time. Creation, fall, Flood, Babel. Okay, now without the helps. You guys are biblical scholars already. All right. Now let's just add one more for today. The fifth one, Abraham. Abraham. All right, so let's just add all together, all five of them. Creation, fall, flood, Babel, Abraham. All right. So chapter 11, it left us with this question. How will God preserve His promise to provide a deliverer who would crush the head of the serpent? That was the promise that was given back in chapter 3. And ever since then, Satan has been trying to undermine that promise and and destroy the opportunity for this one to come and achieve this victory. And God continues that promise. The answer to the question is going to unfold on the lower story uh, through God choosing one man. He's going to create and make a nation that descends from this one man to bring about the promises that God is fulfilling on that upper story. However, as we turn to this life of this individual that we're being introduced to, we have a major problem. There's a serious problem in that the individuals that God is going to introduce us to in this passage, they were were a family of idol worshipers. In Mesopotamia, it was common uh, to, to worship the moon god or many other gods uh, with him, but the, the moon god was the chief deity throughout Mesopotamia. 
And this was certainly the case in the two cities that we encounter here in the text, the cities of Ur and Haran. And over in the book of Joshua, you don't have to turn there, uh, you can if you'd like to, but in Joshua 24.2, God tells us this. Uh, This was Joshua's assessment of Abraham and his family. He says, long ago, their fathers, the fathers of the Israelites, lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. You see, it's tempting in our lives when we compare ourselves to the people in Scripture. I mean, you're just drawn to their lives, aren't you? You, you read through the, the struggles they went through. You read through this account of their faith. And, and you're drawn to, to their relationship with the Lord. And, we, and that's how God intended Scripture to be. And we learn from that. And we, we emulate that faith. And we walk by faith as, as we see they did thousands of years ago. And it's tempting to compare ourselves to other Christians, to other people of faith throughout the Scripture. And when you read the Bible, it's certainly, it's certainly tempting to compare ourselves to men like Abraham or Daniel or Paul and, and to focus on how far we fall short. We, we're, we're right in understanding that we fall short, but I, but I don't want you to miss the point, the point here. You see, Abraham was not called by God because he was this amazing, incredible, superhuman being. God didn't look down and go, who can I pick that's really getting it as close as possible? Who's, who is really knocking it out of the park already? And I'm going to choose that person because they're going to be the easiest to work with. That's not what we find here. God chose Abraham and his family, and this was a family of, of idol worshipers. Had no relationship with God until God stepped into his life and says, Abraham, Abram at the time, his name, God changes his name later, he says, Abram, I'm going to do something through you. I'm going to extend my promise to you and through you and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed in your life and in your family. Abraham was not called because he was already some amazing superhuman being. He was an idol worshiper that was steeped in ancient religion. He had nothing to offer God. He didn't choose to follow God's promise out of the blue. He didn't wake up one day and say, I'm, gonna, I'm going to place my, face, my faith in the one true God. He didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to create monotheism. You know, we, we, we have this idea in the world that you know, Abraham and Moses, you know, these guys created this idea of one God. And that's not what happened. God came down and intervened in his life. God called Abram. He chose this man and he chose to fulfill his promise through Abram, even when Abram was completely lost. And I want you to understand that this story that we see in Abram and how God is working in his life, it's the same story for all of us. We are all in that same position. Every single person. You and I, we have nothing to offer God. Nothing. Going to church, being baptized, having a good marriage, you have to understand, none of this impresses the God of the universe. He doesn't look down and go, wow, that's really something else. We are all spiritually as bankrupt as Abram was. And so turn to chapter 12 and look at God's call to Abram. This passage is so important to the rest of the book of Genesis and it's so important to the rest of the Bible because it, it, it is around these promises that, that, God, that God is going to make to Abram that all the other promises that you're going to find throughout the Scripture are built on. Ultimately, Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise that God gives to Abram in this call. Here are the words that we were introduced to at the beginning of chapter 12. 
He says, now the Lord said to Abram, did you you hear the first words? What did it say? Now the Lord said. That's what we've been expecting, and and it stopped in chapter 11, but finally, oh, God's going to do something. God's going to step in. He's going to continue his promise. There's those key words. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So when God called Abram, you have to understand it was an act of his grace. What's grace mean again? A something... Amen, that's right, Leslie. Something good that God gives to us that we don't deserve. That's God's grace. And so God extends this grace to Abram, just like all the other times that he preserved his promise to mankind. And and he gave Abram one command. He says, Abram, leave everything. Leave it all. God wanted to carry out his promise through Abram, but Abram had to forsake everything and follow God into the unknown. He He would have to leave his homeland, He would have to leave his idols, his family, everything that he knew and had cherished about his life back in Ur. And that's exactly what God calls us to do, isn't it? Isn't he calling you to do the same thing? To to leave your old life behind? When he called you to become a follower of Jesus Christ, he called you to forsake your old self, to put aside your own idols, whether they're things that you put on the mantle and bow down to or, or just something that you worship in your life that isn't God. To put aside the sin which you served, your devotion to yourself and all of your fleshly desires. And you became a follower of Jesus Christ. You trusted His sacrifice to pay for your sins and God made you a new creation. Your journey is very much like Abraham's. God is still in the business of calling ordinary people like Abraham, like you, like me, He's still in the business of restoring his relationship with people. And he's continuing the story and he wants the lower story of our lives to be filled with the blessings of bringing our story in line with his. God's call to leave everything was accompanied with the promise that Abram would receive God's blessing. Five times in this passage, it repeats his promise to bless Abram. Now, not only was Abram a, a... an idol worshiper when when god called him but there was another serious problem to this promise that god's making to him anybody have any idea what it might be that already knows that this story he doesn't have an heir all right which for some of us wouldn't be too big of a problem but for some of us what would their complication be too old yeah imagine god coming to craig saying craig (laughs) pat <laughs> yeah. A- Abram was 75 years old when God made this promise to him. 75. And Sarah was Sarah was only 10 years younger than Abram. He had the serious problem. He had no children. Lot was the closest that he had to having an heir, but his, his nephew, but God promised Abram that he would make him into a great nation. And God would make his name great. Ultimately, all the families of the earth would be blessed by Abram and in Abram. And so this promise that God made to Abram began with Abram stepping out in faith. 
And essentially, God, God has made an offer to restore the relationship. Abram, though, we're told he believed God's promise. A 75-year-old man with a 65-year-old wife, he believed God. He said, okay. And, and he, he left Ur. He left his family. He went to this land that God promised to him, this inheritance. And he trusted that God was going to provide that for what he promised. We know of two locations where Abram lived. Uh, I have a map behind me. Can you all see that okay? Yeah. All right. On my computer, the words looked a little small, so we tried to make it big as possible. Uh, there's, there's two possible locations. He came from a place called Ur. How would you like to come from Ur? Yeah, right? Um, the traditional site that most people uh, know of was uncovered by archaeologists about 150 years ago. And so if you go to modern-day Iraq, uh, and Iran, actually Iran, um, down at the bottom by the Persian Gulf, they found this ancient city. And it's this ancient city that had great buildings and, and ziggurats, which were like Mesopotamian uh, pyramids, uh, but with a flat top on them. And um, about 170 years ago, they discovered this, and they've been uncovering all these buildings. Uh, and that's the traditional site that people have pointed to that Abraham came from. I'm of the opinion that Abraham came from the northern location. And so if you go all the way up the Euphrates River and up in the mountains, uh, basically modern day, that'd be... Um, what's north of Iran? Kazakhstan? Uzbekistan? Something like that? Yeah. One of the Stans, all right? Uh, so, um, but, but still in that, that area of the Middle East. Um, there's another city called Ur uh, in the, in the, up in, near the mountains. And basically, it was, it'd be like saying, I was, I was born in Madrid, Iowa. Most people think of Madrid, and the, it's the second largest city of the European Union. Uh, but when I tack on Iowa, you know that I'm referring to the smaller of the two cities, the one that most people haven't heard about. Ur of the Chaldeans may have been kind of like that. Uh, there, there were two Urs, and most everybody knew about the Ur down by the Persian Gulf, but there was another smaller city that was up in the north. Either way, uh, Abram left everything, and he set out for the land that God promised him. But one of the most astonishing aspects of God's promise was the fact that Abram was, again, he was 75 years old when God made these promises to him. Sarah was 65, and, and they had never had any children. Sarah, we're told, was barren. And yet God promises to make him a, a great nation, and Abram believed him. And so if you're reading the Bible with us, you've discovered some of the, the bumps in the road. You've read through Abram's life. We're not going to go through all of those individual stories. We don't, we don't have the, the time in 31 weeks to, to cover each of those. But... Um, Abram made a few mistakes. There were some big ones, kind of including the one where he said, hey, Sarah, you're beautiful. We're going to go down to Egypt. So what did he ask her to do for him? Say you're my sister. Yeah. And then Pharaoh sees her and goes, wow, this, this girl is beautiful. And he takes her as a wife. Now what do you do? And now what happens to the promise? And, and, and God steps in. God intervenes. You'd think Abram would learn the lesson, right? Later on, they're in the land of the Philistines. And what's Abram do? Say, you're my sister. And the same thing happens again. God intervenes. And so, so Abram makes a few big mistakes. I mean, big mistakes. There's, there's some big ones as you read through his story. But, but through those mistakes, God is working in Abram's life, pulling him back, saying, okay, wait, if you're going to trust me, trust me. And, and he's teaching Abram these lessons of, of faith and how to walk in faith. Um, turn over a few chapters to Genesis chapter 15 where we pick up this idea of the promise. He's already made a couple errors over the next couple chapters. But in chapter 15, we find God providing reassurance to Abram regarding 
the trustworthiness of his promises. God provided the resources to Abram to walk by faith and to follow him in obedience, even when the path seemed uncertain and the way seemed dark. Look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter, chapter 15. God tells us this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And so several years have gone by. This couple is not getting any younger. And, and so Abram has some real questions in his mind. God made these promises to him, and he's thinking to himself, I, <laughs> I, I, there's a really small window here. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's gone already. But God made this promise, and so how is he going to do this? And so he asks some real questions of God, not, not in a rebellious sort of way in which he's, he's challenging God, but, but asking God, please help me understand here and, and help my doubts. And so God does something very special for Abram. The first thing he does in verses 4 through 6 is he reassures Abram of the promises. Let's just read that. Uh, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eleazar that Abram just mentioned, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Which son is that? The son that he doesn't have. Right? Yeah, Isaac. But the son he doesn't have yet, right? And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven. You ever done that? Been looking at the pictures from the, the James Webb telescope? Are there just a few stars? Wow, I mean, they're everywhere. They're glorious. And takes Abram out. He says, look toward heaven and number the stars. Count them, Abram. You ever try that? Didn't work very well if you did, right? Count the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And watch this, verse 6. And he believed the Lord. That's what faith is. He believed God. God said, Abram, that's what your descendants are going to look like. And at 85 years old, or almost 85, Abram believed God. Faith is trusting what God has said. Believing Him for, for what He says regarding His promises. But then it tells us, and God counted it to him as righteousness. See, that's how salvation comes to you and me. You don't come to God and say, hey, here's everything I have to offer. Here's my righteousness, because you don't have any to give to him. But the Bible tells us that God gives to us his grace, and that grace is received through faith, through believing God for what he says. Specifically, we're told that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And when you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, he took your place. And the same way that Abram believed God here, you look to God and say, God, I believe you. I am trusting you to take my sins away. I am trusting you to make me righteous through what Jesus did. The same thing happens for you that happened for Abram. He gives to your account his righteousness. The verb that's used here stresses the idea that Abram is not believing for the first time right here. Okay, that's, that's, not, that's not how the, the words are, are used in the Hebrew. Instead, the narrator is providing an editorial comment that's emphasizing that Abram is continuing in his faith that was first displayed back in Ur when he believed God and, and left his homeland. A Abraham, Abram had his ups and his downs, 
There were some moments where his faith wavered and, and he made some big mistakes. But throughout all of it, he continued to believe God. Abram counted the stars and God counted Abram's faith. However, God not only reassures Abram of his promise, but then he confirms the promise with what the Bible calls a covenant. Just say the word with me, just for the fun of it. A covenant. All right, we don't usually do that in our culture. We don't have a lot of them. Um, we usually think of contracts. Uh, we have one covenant that, that many of us have partaken in. That's the covenant of marriage. You make vows to one another, and those vows are for a lifetime. And it's more than just a contract. It's the beginning of a relationship. It's, it, it's a a, a vow that there will be a relationship and this is binding beyond any contract that we know and so that's what abram does god does with abram he gives to him a covenant and so after showing abram the stars we learn in verse 7 he says he said to him i am the lord who brought you out from ur of the chaldeans to give you this land to possess so he reminds abram of where his faith started but he said oh lord god how, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. All right, so we've got some stuff going on in here that's not quite normal for our culture, is it? You see, God was emphasizing when Abram's faith began and Abram responds by asking for some sort of proof to dispel his doubts. He's like, God, I, I'm struggling here, and so help me to know that, that what these promises are for real and, and how I can continue to trust you. And, and God graciously answers, to Abram's, answers Abram's question, and he initiates a ceremony, again, that we call a covenant. Uh, in their days, they would have said, we cut a covenant. And, and you can see how he cut all the parts of the animals in, in half, and so that's what a covenant would look like. Now again, I know we live in 2022. Uh, a while back, I refinanced my mortgage, and, and that process included a, a lot of paperwork. A lot of paperwork. A lot of signatures. A lot of things that amounted to me making promises to pay back my loan. In my life, however, I, I have never participated in a contract where we cut up animals and, in two and we laid their carcasses on the ground. Anybody here do that? Any, any takers? Uh, I have one suggestion. We have a wedding next Saturday, a covenant. L let's take... Not quite. Abby says no. But that's what God was commanding Abram to do. When, when he told him, you get a heifer, a, uh, a ram, and, and a turtle dove and a, and a young pigeon, Abram knew exactly what was going on. If I told you, hey, drop the paperwork, you know what I'm talking about, right? Let's make a contract. When God said, get these animals, Abram's going, oh, we're, we're cutting a covenant. This is serious stuff. Not just a covenant, not just a contract, but a lifelong relationship in which they were entering a formal agreement that they were bound for life. And God was going to do that with Abram. And I can't tell you how excited he would have been at this moment. And so when God said, get those animals, Abram jumped on it and, and, and he cuts them in half and he lays them out in this path. Uh, so there's a few things going on with the, sim the symbolism of this. First of all, um, death is, is very evident, right? 
You're cutting a covenant, and, and all around you are these bloodied animals, these carcasses of these things. And, and that was important. Because anytime a person cut a covenant with somebody else, what was being said was, if I break my covenant, if I break my part of the deal, may I become like that. And so death was a part of these covenants, and it was symbolic of, of what would happen to any, part of the, any person that, that broke their, their part of the, the covenant. And what would happen then is they would lay out these carcasses in a, in a path. They'd put half of the heifer here, half of the heifer there, half of the ram, half of the ram, and then a bird uh, on each side. And, and they created a path. And so they would, these two men would join arms, and they would walk through this path that they created, and, and that was it. And you walked through that, you walked through the door of this relationship, and, and there was no going back. And, and to do so was catastrophe. If one was to break the covenant, uh, it, it oftentimes carried a, a death sentence. It, it was the most offensive thing that you could probably do in that culture. And so that was the ancient practice of cutting a covenant. But then in the story, God does something different. God, God flips things upside down for Abram. And in verse 17, we're going to skip a couple verses, but in verse 17, it says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And the verses, uh, I think I skipped actually a couple verses, uh, talks about how God, God put Abram into a deep sleep. And so, so Abram is ready to walk, walk through the covenant. He's ready to cut the covenant with God, and then God puts him to sleep. And as Abram's watching, he sees a vision of this torch and, a, and, a, and an oven going through the animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates. And here's what's noteworthy here. The first thing we see is that Abram didn't take part in the ceremony. Now, why would that be important? What would that signify? Could Abram break the covenant? No, because he didn't actually go through the path. God went through alone. God's presence was symbolized in this pot and this torch, and so Abram watched as only God passed through the pieces. Abram had asked God for proof that would dispel his doubts and God responds by binding himself to a solemn contract with Abram. You see, far beyond a contract, it was a formal initiation of a relationship with promises and vows. And as they cut this covenant, God's the only one that made the promises and the vows. And so can Abram break the covenant? Is there anything that Abram can do that will nullify his end and God can say, whew, I'm out of that one? Because God went through alone and he put Abram into his sleep. God is the only one that has promises and vows to fulfill now. And so in other words, he says, Abram, I'm going to fulfill these promises to you no matter what. There is absolutely nothing that you can do in this life that will break the covenant. I myself am bound to keep it to you. Again, the closest thing that we can conceive of this kind of ceremony would be the covenant that we make to one another with our wedding vows. It's a lifelong relationship that's formalized. And so we see this unconditional covenant that God makes with Abram. And again, this is going to be a foundation throughout the rest of Scripture. All the other covenants that we're going to see later on, all the other uh, things that are going to happen in relation to the promise are related to this promise that God makes to Abram. 
And, and, and it wasn't just for Abram. It wasn't just during Abram's life. It was forever to all of his descendants. So we have to understand that when God makes a promise, He never fails. You may, you may not know the details of every step. You may not know all the, the specifics of what you're going to encounter in this life. But you can believe that the promises that God does give you in His Word, and He does, they're promises that God gives to you. You can believe that if He gives you these promises, that you can trust Him to fulfill. What He said, you can believe. And if God fails to keep His promises, then He will cease to be the sovereign God of the universe. Briefly, let's consider how this plays out in Abram's life over the next few chapters. Again, we're not going to cover every story and every specific here. There are going to be some ups and downs for Abram continually. He's going to make some huge blunders along the way when he tries to do things his way. And if you're reading through Genesis, you'll discover the story of Hagar and the boy Ishmael. You'll read the story of Abram and his sister as they journey to other kingdoms where he lived in fear. But through all of this, the Lord continues to train Abram to trust him. And in chapter 22, go and flip over there. In chapter 22, Abram passes the ultimate test of his faith. Actually, turn to 18. Sorry, we're going to go to 18. But in chapter 22, he has this ultimate test of faith when the Lord commands him to sacrifice the son that was promised to him. How much would Abraham trust the Lord? Enough to give up the very fulfillment of the promises themselves? And in Hebrews, the passage that, that Doug read for us earlier, tells us that it comments on Abraham's life, Abraham's life and informs us that he believed God. And when God said, sacrifice your son as a burnt offering, which was common in those days. It, this, that wouldn't have been unheard of for Abraham. He wouldn't have liked it, but many of the other religions, religions around him, they, they would do that sort of thing. They would sacrifice some of their children. It was horrible. And so when God asked this of him, it, it would have been horrible to think about, but, but God was testing his faith to see, does, does Abraham really trust me? Really trust me? And Hebrews tells us that, that Abraham believed God and considered that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And so he went forward with it knowing that God was still going to keep his promises even if Isaac died. Ultimately, Abraham passed his final exam. But in closing, I, I'd like us to look at a conversation that takes place just a few years earlier than that, before Isaac is born. It's in chapter 18 when, when Abraham was 99 years old. 99. Can you imagine having children at 99 not, not just having children, but let alone even keeping up with them, right? 24 years after God's promise, Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled and believed Him. And at 99 years old, Sarah is long past menopause, we're told in the passage, and Abram is an old man, but God again speaks to him and promises that at the same time the next year, Sarah would have a child of her own. And this is the first time that God says Sarah is going to have a child. They, they've tried some other things because they thought, well, maybe God wanted you know, to have Abraham to have children through a servant or something. But God says, no, it's going to be Sarah. Sarah will have a child. He would be the promised heir through whom God would build a nation. And, and here's the conversation, verse 9. It says, they said to him, this is God, uh, these three angels, uh, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she's, she's in the tent. 
The, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. We know that already, but they're reminding of that, that, of, of, of that fact. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So, listen to this, Sarah laughed to herself saying, <laughs> after I'm all worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? But I want you to catch the next words. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now there's the question of the ages, isn't it? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you, you did laugh. And you see, God knew. Is there anything too marvelous for our God? We have a God who demonstrates His incredible kindness to us. What's that word again? Grace. God gives us something good that we don't deserve. Grace. He's called us into a relationship in which He desires us to know Him. He wants you to know Him, to be in relationship with Him. To dine with Him. To experience the fullness of the joy that comes from the freedom that we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a God who paid the penalty for our sins. We have a God who said, you guys have a problem. And you can't do anything about it because there's nothing you can offer me that will fix your sin. So I'm going to do something about it. And Jesus Christ stepped into our world and He became one of us. He died for us. He took the penalty that we couldn't pay. So therefore, our obedience, it overflows out of our joy of walking with Him daily. We also have a God for whom there is nothing too marvelous. There is nothing impossible. If He says He will do something, there's never a moment where you need to look at Him going, ah, I know you're pretty great, but I don't know about that one. There's nothing too marvelous no wonder or miracle is beyond his power and yet in our flesh we so often hear god's promises and to us they seem incredible i mean just some of the simple things praying does god answer prayer he does right but yet why don't i spend more time in prayer do i really believe him is there anything too marvelous No wonder or miracles beyond His power, but so often they seem incredible to us. Our journey with Abraham, I want you to understand, it's not just a story. It's not even just a piece of history in which we learn about His faith. Like Abraham, you and I have the opportunity. There's an opportunity for each one of us to believe God for what He says He can and will do. It's an opportunity for us to explore our faith, for God to take our weaknesses and to turn them into some of our greatest strengths. It's an opportunity for us to come before Him in prayer, relying on Him for every need in our lives. It's an opportunity for us to break beyond the ordinariness of existence and experience life, the life that our God says that He intends for us to live 
Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. And so I ask you, have you believed God? First, have you believed Him regarding what He says about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ claims, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. And like Abraham responded to God's incredible promise that one day He would have children, that one day all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Him, God calls you to believe His promise that He will give you salvation if you put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Have you believed God? I also ask you, are, are you facing doubts? We, we, all, we all struggle with it at times, don't we? Things come into our lives and, and it's a challenge. Maybe you're facing some of those doubts today. Maybe there's a temptation that you're struggling with. That same sin keeps on haunting you and those doubts come along. God provides the resources to His people to walk by faith and then to follow Him in obedience even when that path seems uncertain. So I leave you with this. What is too marvelous for you today? What is the one thing that you need to trust Him for? What's He asking you to believe? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the promises that You've given to us in Your Word. Above anything else, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ who came and He died in our place. He took our sin upon Himself. You tell us later on in Scripture that Jesus became our sin. And all the wrath that should have been poured out on us, all the punishment that should have been unleashed on every single one of our sins, You unleashed on Jesus Christ when He was crucified on that cross. Lord, we believe and understand that, that it wasn't just the pain of that physical death that killed Jesus there. It was that horrible agony of bearing the weight of all of our sin. And all of that so that He would be able to give us His righteousness. A great swap. A great substitution. That we could never have accomplished by ourselves in any way. But You've done the miraculous. You've done what is marvelous, incredible, impossible. We thank You for Your Son. We thank You for Your grace. And like Abraham, we believe. Father, I pray for my friends here and if there's anyone here that, that hasn't yet come to that point where they have trusted You, that they put their faith in You and what You accomplished through Jesus, might today be the day that they receive salvation. And Father, as we continue to walk by faith in this life, I pray that You would teach us. I pray that You would help us to see and understand how great You are, how wonderful You are, and as we face temptations in our life, may there be nothing that we consider too marvelous that you cannot fulfill your promises. We love you and adore you. Amen.